I, I want to ask right where you're at to join me for a few minutes in a time of corporate prayer. Uh, this is just an effort for us as a church, as a body of believers, to incorporate more and more prayer into the life of the church, to, to gather together, to just seek the Lord together for His will, and to be done in us and through us as we seek to serve Him. So last week we opened up with a time of prayer, with our prayers focused on um, praising the Lord for His grace and His goodness and who He is. And today we're going to shift and we're going to take a different focus. And our focus last week was up. This week our focus is going to be a little bit more out onto what God is doing and how God hopefully will use us in the community where we're at and then even beyond that too. Sound good? All right, let's go ahead and pray. As I pray, I'm going to go ahead and leave some prompts for people, and you can right where you're at. Um, just go ahead and pray for these items, and then after uh, um, you know, 30 seconds or so, we'll go ahead and move on to the next thing, and, and that's the kind of format we'll use. Ready? All right, let's go ahead and pray, church. Father, as we gather before you right now, Lord, we come before you uh, to seek you in prayer. Father, your word uh, makes it clear the importance of prayer, Lord, the necessity of prayer. Father, the, the a role that prayer should play in our lives, Father. And we confess to you now as a people, Lord, we fall short of that. We fall short of seeking you day in and day out through prayer the way that we should, Lord. So we want to come now and let this uh, be the establishment of new rhythms in our spiritual life, God, where we come to our knees and we come before you seeking you, Lord, for truly your will to be done on earth as it is in heaven. Father, for opportunities to praise your name and, Father, to just seek out ways in which we can see, serve and glorify you uh, where you put us right now, Father. So God, with that praise of your name this morning, Lord, we just want to take this time as a body of believers, as a church, to think about the community around us, to think about our neighbors in these neighborhoods, in the businesses, in the shops, in the, the people we interact with on a day-to-day -day basis, Lord. And I just pray for the church to take time right now to, to lift up those people around us, to pray for their salvation to pray for the gospel to go forth, and to see your kingdom impact this community. Let's pray now, church, for this community. Father, as we continue in prayer and we lift up those outside this body of believers today right now, Lord, I pray that, uh, Father, you bring people to mind that we work with, Lord, people who uh, we know, Lord, we see day in and day out that, uh, that need the gospel, that need salvation, Father, and I just pray for the people in our lives that you've burdened us, Father, who know uh, the transforming power that the gospel would have in their lives and, and what it would mean for them to have the hope of Jesus, Lord. So as a church, let's just take time right now to pray for the lost and if there are specific names that we have, church, lift them up to the Lord right now in prayer.
Father, we want to lift up the local partners that we have, Father, that we support and that we try to engage with, Father, that, uh, that meet practical needs, Lord, but also uh, bring the gospel to people on a day-to-day basis. So right now, Lord, just uh, David's House and Mel Trotter Ministries and, and Love, Inc. and the Pregnancy Resource Center and, and some of the other partners and other churches we've, we've connected with, Lord, over the last couple of years, uh, Lord, we just lift them up to you now. Church, I just pray, uh, pick one of those right now and lift them up right where you sit as they seek to serve the kingdom of God here in our city. Father, as we pray now, too, and we, we think beyond the local partners we have, Father, we want to lift up our, our missionaries, our uh, partner or people we partner with as we engage globally, Lord, with the gospel. Father, there are people who are serving in hard places right now, today, um, coming together to worship as a church in, in different ways and different fashions, Lord, in some places where meeting as a church is, is very, very difficult. So, God, we, we, we just pray right now um, as a church, Lord, to just lift up those missionaries and to, to lift up the church universal, Father, uh, as they as they come together to worship you, Father. Church, go ahead and pray now for, for our missionaries and pray for the church as it comes together across the globe to worship the Lord today. Father, hear our prayers today. Lord, I pray that this would just be a time to just continue to lay our cares and concerns at the feet of the cross. Let this be a time to seek you because, Lord, you are the one who works all things, Lord, according to your perfect will. So, Father, let us find rest in that today. Lord, let us find rest in laying down uh, these burdens that we have uh, before you and knowing that, Lord, we do have a great high priest who can sympathize with our weaknesses. So, Father, let us embrace the role of prayer in the life of us as Christians. Let us embrace it in the life of the church. And, Father, We just lift these things up to you today. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Amen. Thank you for that, church. Hopefully that's encouraging for us, and hopefully it is convicting that we'll find more times during our week when we're at home to get into our prayer closet and continue to pursue the Lord that way as well. As we get started this morning, um, digging into our text, uh, I just want to go ahead and welcome everybody here. I I didn't do that when I first walked up, so... I'm happy to see everybody here worshiping with us today. If you were unable to make it, happy to have you joining us online this morning. Um, It is always a joy and a pleasure to be worshiping with God's people and drawing closer to Him. Amen? Amen. Good. Um, We're going back to Matthew chapter 13 today, and we're going to go ahead and finish up these parables of the kingdom that Jesus started in uh, verse 1 of Matthew 13 and concludes 
in, uh, in um, verses 47 to 52. And we went to this particular text because Jesus has given us insight into his kingdom. He's given us insight into its inauguration, its existence in the world, but also the future and final fulfillment of Jesus' reign over his kingdom eternally. And this matters to us as Christians because if Jesus has saved you from your sin, if you have confessed with your mouth Jesus is Lord and you believe in your heart God has raised him from the dead, then you are today where you're at right now submitting to the rule and reign of Jesus Christ as your Lord in your life. And though you may be in the world today, the Bible tells us we are no longer of the world. We are in the world, but we are no longer of the world. That's where the slide comes up. That I just want to remind everybody of where our citizenship is held. This was the illustration I used at the, the very end of the first uh, sermon we did in this series. Right? You can click on down, Jerry, to that one. That'd be great. We've been issued a new passport, church. Right? We'd all have a passport that says uh, United States of America on it. Maybe not. If you're not from America, it would have another country. But when we are saved, when Jesus is the Lord of our lives, it, it changes. We're not just a citizen of the United States of America. We are a citizen of the kingdom of heaven. And we live under the rule and reign and kingship of Jesus Christ and all of the implications that that has for our life too. He's our king, and we submit to him now, church. All right, let's go ahead. If you haven't yet, open up your Bibles to Matthew chapter 13 with me. And we're going to look at verses 47 to 52. I'll go ahead and read them out loud here in just a minute. Hopefully you have that open. You can just go ahead and follow along right where you're sitting. And we'll go ahead and dig into our text today. Ready, church? All right, let's go ahead and uh, I'll read. Follow along, please. Matthew 13, verse 47. Again, and this is Jesus talking, the kingdom of heaven is like a net that was thrown into the sea and gathered fish of every kind. When it was full, men drew it ashore and sat down and sorted the good into containers, but threw away the bad. So it will be at the end of the age. The angels will come out and separate the evil from the righteous and throw them into the fiery furnace. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Have you understood all these things? They said to him, Yes. And he said to them, Therefore every scribe who has been trained for the kingdom of heaven is like a master of a house who brings out of his treasure what is new and what is old. This is the word of the Lord. There's a piece of this passage that constantly sticks out to me, and it's in verse 51, where Jesus asks his disciples, have you understood these things? And they answer, yes. Right? It reminds me, too, of my kids and some of the, uh, some of the things that we talk about. And I'll look at the kids, and I'll sit there, and I'll tell them, okay, here's what you need to know. There's this, and here's this, and here's this. Do you understand? Yes. All right, what did I just say? I don't know. That's the image I get of the disciples there, right? I've just gone through everything with you. I've explained this to you step by step. Do you understand? Yes. Tell me what I said then. I don't know. That's our kids. That's, that's the familiar piece of the story for us, too, if we think about having children in our own lives or times we've dealt even with other people, and you walk through things, and you explain things, and you're looking for an explanation of understanding for confirmation, and it's, it's just not there. But the disciples do give Jesus an affirmation of this understanding today. And it's important because this is a summary, 
ultimately in its essence of the entirety of what we've done so far in Matthew chapter 13, right? He's asking them, do you understand everything I've told you to this point? And so what are these parables of the kingdom? Well, when we started in Matthew chapter 13, we started with the parable of the sower and the soils, where the word of the kingdom is scattered amongst these various soils, but only this good soil, which understands the word, do we find fruit and do we find growth and do we find life present? And this parable is followed up by the parable of the weeds, where we're given a picture of the kingdom that Jesus is proclaiming being a field which represents the entirety of the earth, where good seeds are planted and grown in preparation for a harvest. And in this parable, though, an enemy comes along and sows weeds into this field, weeds that look like the wheat the master has sown, but are poisonous to eat. And these two things grow together until it is time for the harvest to be taken in, where we're told there will be a separation, where the weeds are separated from the wheat and the weeds are thrown into the fire to be burned. Last week, we looked at the parable of the mustard seed and of the leaven, and we looked at the implications for the kingdom Jesus is proclaiming. This kingdom Jesus is proclaiming, it's something that starts small, it's something that looks insignificant, but it's something that grows far larger than anyone would have thought by looking at that tiny grade of mustard seed that grows far larger than anyone would have thought looking at the humble beginnings that it starts from. And this kingdom is something that will infiltrate the world. And its effects, the effects of the kingdom of heaven are felt both by the citizens who live in this kingdom, but also by the rest of the world that exists alongside of it. These were the first uh, four parables there. There's two more parables uh, that come before this that talk about the value and the worth of the kingdom. We're not going to dig into those, partially because somebody already did that for us pretty recently, so we don't want to re-preach that too, too soon. Um, but we're going to go ahead and skip ahead, and we're going to close out this section of the parables of the kingdom by looking at 47 through 52. And we're going to see that while the kingdom of heaven will be growing and its effects will be fully mature in this present age, we're going to see the reminder Jesus gave us earlier in the parable of the weeds that there will be a time where this age will end. God will pull back the curtain and there will be a sorting at that time. As Jesus finishes the parables of, this, of the kingdom, this picture of the final sorting, this is intended to give us an image of what this final judgment that God will bring about will look like. These are the parables of the kingdom, right? We've just gone back through three weeks worth of material looking back at, at what this message is, this kingdom that's coming, this kingdom that is valuable, surpasses worth, is going to grow, is going to impact the world. And has Jesus as its king ends with a final judgment where good and evil will be separated out. Sin will be dealt with once and for all like it needs to be. At the end of this, at the end of these uh, six verses from today, or in the middle of it, sorry, in verse 51, Jesus says, these are the things I've taught you. Have you understood all these things? Have you understood all these things? This question, I think, eats at the heart of what the main idea for today is. You can click down to the next slide there for me, Jerry. That'd be great. This, this teaching that Jesus has given his disciples, there's, 
something that feels like new teaching, this new teaching that he gives, these parables of the kingdom, are the inauguration of the fulfillment of many, many old teachings we find in God's word. Centuries of promise and prophecy that have been given to God's people are now, Jesus tells us, beginning to come to pass in the form of this tiny mustard seed. Right? This word that Jesus is sharing us is going to be planted and it is going to grow. That is the through line of the entirety of these parables that this kingdom has come. God's kingdom is at hand. And it's important for us to know, right? That's that why question. Why are we looking at this if this is the main idea? We need to know this because disciples of Jesus are to be ready to share this treasure freely because we see the day is coming when there will be a separation of those who are citizens and those who are not. There will be that day of separation where God will sort out those to eternal life with himself and others to an eternity in a place, Jesus says, where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. And I think we're going to see that in our text today by looking at the first parable in it and gaining more insight into this treasure and then by looking at the question Jesus asked his disciples and looking at the big picture Jesus wants us to see from the entirety of these parables, we will also hopefully be able to answer when Jesus asks us, do you understand these things? We can say yes as well, right? That's the hope at the end of this today is that we can say yes, we also understand so let's go ahead and take a look at these, two par- these last two parables Jesus gives us in Matthew 13. You can look back at verse 47 with me. You can click on to the next slide for me, Jerry. That's great. In verse 47, we find ourselves back in the story here with Jesus having left the crowds and now speaking prima- or privately with his disciples. These are conversations now that are private. They're not um, out there for the crowd to hear. This is just like he explained the parable of the weeds to them in verse 38. And then he gives them those two other parables in verses 44 and 45, highlighting the value of the kingdom of heaven and how we should think about it. And now this final parable that's of the kingdom that is taught in private to the disciples, Jesus tells them that the kingdom of heaven is like a net that is thrown into the sea that gathers fish of every kind. It's like a net thrown into the sea that gathers fish. Of every kind. These are the three elements present in this parable for us. The imagery of this net should be very familiar to Jesus' disciples as well, probably more so than some of the agricultural ones, because there were multi, or you know, what, four or five at least of Jesus' disciples that were actually fishermen. So this should be a picture that that they understand, right? And a lot of times we think of fishing. What do we think of? We've got our rod. We're going out and casting it into the to the lake or the river. Right, and we're, we're pulling one fish back. This is not the picture of fishing that Jesus gives to his disciples here, no. And it makes sense to them because they were fishermen. No, this is a net working to catch fish. It is large and it is weighted and it is thrown into the sea between two boats and it goes along at a nice slow pace and it sweeps the waters and it entraps everything that has been swimming around in it, right? This is this is big, big fishing. This is not going after one. This is not saying I've got the right kind of bait to get this one kind of fish and let's see how big we can get it. This is Jesus saying the kingdom is going to capture fish of every kind. And this, this net is large. 
It's weighted. It moves at a slow and steady pace, sweeping the waters to, to capture everything it can pull in. I think in the context of this story would indicate that the element of the sea takes a similar place to the field in the earlier parables. This dragnet is being pulled across the world in order to pull in every kind of fish. Not just the large fish, right? Not just the salmon, not just the tuna, but it's pulling in fish indiscriminately. There's implications for us with that too, is there not? Because this is not just a net pulling in uh, the Jews in Jerusalem for the reestablishment of the kingdom of Israel at that time, is it? This is a net that drags across the entire of the world to pull in fish of every kind. The gospel message is intended for fish of every kind. It is intended to travel to the ends of the earth, to be heard by all people, so that from every tribe, tongue, and nation, there would be fish present in this net when it is filled and it is pulled up to the top. Like last week's parable of the mustard seed and the parable of the leaven, I think we also see the effects of the kingdom being felt from the net. We see this is the case because the net has completed its sweep. It has finished its task of collecting these fish. It's pulled up and it's taken to a place of sorting. And the fish are sorted by good fish and bad fish. Not every fish that was caught up in the net is counted as good and kept. The sorting that takes place in this parable this is similar to the parable of the weeds in verse 30 of chapter 13, where Jesus said, or in the parable, let both grow together until the harvest, and at the harvest time I will tell the reapers, gather the weeds first and bind them in bundles to be burned, but gather the wheat into my barn. The good fish and the bad fish, just like the wheat and the weeds, both feel the effects of this kingdom. Just like the leaven and the mustard seed leave effects of the kingdom. This net is sweeping far and wide. Good and bad are being drug in and the kingdom's effects are felt. And when it comes time to look at this sorting, we read uh, verse 30 of chapter 13 already and the parallel there to the uh, parable of the weeds. We, we do see parallels with one another in their instruction to us. And the way God is working out history, moving things forward at his chosen pace until the time has come, the net is full, and the age will come to pass. But we do not see, I think, a perfect parallel between those two. And there's a little piece in there that I think is important for us to grasp onto. That's why point two, it tells us that this is a parallel to the parable of the weeds, but it's, not a perf- or, but it's slightly different. And I think there's something important for us to, to pay attention to in that slight difference. See, in the parable of the weeds, what is gathered, we are told, has been planted by a man who has sowed good seed in his field. And the weeds that are sorted out, we are told, have been planted by an enemy who has come to poison and to kill and to destroy the harvest that is to be collected. I know the sermon from a couple weeks ago, I used used the different natures of the weeds and the wheat to highlight the fact that when we are saved by Christ, we're told that we are told in John 3 that we're actually being born again. We're receiving a new nature, right? When we're, we're born or when we're saved. 2 Corinthians 5, it says it. It says it this way. It says that everyone who is in Christ is a new creation. 
right? And apart from Christ sowing good seed in us, we would have been weeds in the field when the harvest came. And I, I use that sort of as an application point for us and um, hammering that application point home to be encouraged to take the message of the gospel out to see people transformed. It, it may have missed um, the point of the harvest in that parable that God does have a role and a hand in the salvation of mankind too. And we see it and we see the master at work in planting the good seed and we see it in the weeds of the field being planted by the enemy. If we wonder what that looks like, I think we get a picture of that in the Gospel of John in chapter 8 where Jesus tells us that there is an enemy at work in the field of the Lord. There in John chapter 8, Jesus looks at the Pharisees and He tells them, If God were your Father, you would love Me, for I came from God, and I am here. I came not of My own accord, but He sent Me. Why do you not understand what I say? It is because you cannot bear to hear My word. You are of your father, the devil, and your will is to do your father's desires. This is Jesus looking at the Pharisees, telling them there are wheat and there are weeds in the field. And you are weeds, Pharisees. When we recognize the enemy is at work, we recognize that God is work planting, at work planting good seed in his field, which will result in salvation. But in this parable, the net, Jesus does not give us the same indication that the enemy is at work in the fish that are caught up in the net the same way that he says earlier in the parable of the weeds, which does not negate what I think we see to be true about God's work in salvation, nor the enemy's work in poisoning God's creation. But I think it leaves us with a slightly different picture with a few extra implications for us. It may sound like a small detail to focus in on, but it does matter. Because the image of the parable of the weeds, the enemy has sown this bad seed. And the picture there is that the weeds are growing up alongside the wheat, and there is some measure of inclination here in this parable that the weeds are present. And the master tells the servants to wait, wait patiently for the time of harvest to sort out, not what is a surprise to them, but to sort out what they already know is there. With our parable of the net today, although we're marching towards the same conclusion, there will be this separation time, right? But with the parable of the net, all kinds of fish are pulled in and sorted. What is good and what is bad has been sorted once the net has been filled. There's no inclination. The net sweeps and pulls in good and bad together, and it's sorted out at the end. If we went back to, in our Bibles to Matthew chapter 7, we find Jesus, Sermon on the Mount, saying this, Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Thus you will recognize them by their fruit. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, we did not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do many mighty works in your name. And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. This is the slight variation I think we see in these two parables. The first, the weeds are, are known and they're left until the day in which they'll be cut down and burned. Here, the net is dragged and good and bad are pulled in together. And I think from that for us, there is a warning for us, both personally 
and a warning for us as the church as well. We want to be fruitful fish, right? You think of fruit coming out of plants, but here we have the example of the fish. We want to be fruitful fish. We want to be fish that multiply, fish that are healthy, fish that when it comes time to sort, say, here's a good-looking fish right here. Not because of our works, not because of just what we've done, but because of the righteousness Jesus has imputed to us and because of the fruit that comes out of the transformed heart and life that we get as citizens of the kingdom. That is fruitfulness inside the life of a believer. And this is a warning for us here. Good and bad are being swept into this net, being collected. There will be good and bad inside the church that we will have to deal with as well. And we want to take the warning from Scripture to examine our hearts and our lives to see day in and day out that we are connected with the root. We are connected to Jesus. That we are fish that come to feed on the good food that Jesus provides. It's a warning for us personally, church, here to examine ourselves. And watch out, because we do not want to stand before the Lord in that day and hear Him say, depart from me, I never knew you, you workers of lawlessness. There's a warning for the church as well. There's a warning here for us that there will be those who come and claim to be Christians, but they end up turning into, or turn out to be uh, wolves in sheep's clothing. Good and bad are being captured together in this net. And this is why in uh, the, uh, 1 John verse 9, or chapter 1, verse 19, John says this, They went out from us, but they were not of us. There are people present inside the church, John is saying, even back in the days of the disciples that have come in, they've been captured by this net, right? But they have left and they've departed. And John tells them, even though they came from us, they were not of us. Good and bad will be sorted out on the end. We have to watch church, therefore, carefully over one another. We have to care for one another. We have to be attentive to the things that are going on inside the church. Because the Lord tells us in His Word, there will come a time when people will come in to seek to destroy. Seek to destroy the unity of the body. Seek to destroy the mission of the body. We have to be aware and alert to this. Not that we... We look at everybody like side-eyed as they walk through the doors, but that we connect with people and we get involved in people's lives and we make sure that we share the gospel with people and that people's foundation is found on Christ. We have to be watchful over the church, and not just Faith Baptist Church, but the church together. There's a warning for us. Personally, there's a warning for us as a church because this net sweeps wide and it captures good and bad. And this parable of the net finishes with another parallel to the parable of the weeds, though. As in verse 49, we are told the angels will come to separate the evil from the righteous. In this world, the fish will be swimming around with other fish, and the Lord will use His angels in judgment to complete this final sorting. This is the... uh, If we're here now living out the inauguration of this kingdom of Jesus, this is the image of the kingdom coming in its fullness. This is that day of judgment. We see the kingdom of heaven here at work. 
but we also see the coming day when the kingdom will be seen truly in its fullness. We said it before too, we're not the ones separating out uh, the weeds and the wheat. We're not the ones separating out the good fish and the bad fish. The Lord has sent His angels to do this work. And just because it's the angels who come to do this, does this mean we are not concerned about sin in the world? Does this mean that we do not address sin when we see it? Do we not address the problems and the injustices that we may see come across um, in the world around us? No. No, I think it's quite the opposite. Even though it's the angel's job at the end to do this final sorting as a citizen of the kingdom, I think the parables make it clear that the kingdom is here going forward in the world and that in order for it to have its effect, the way Jesus is describing in these parables, that we do speak out when we see sin. That we do speak out when there are actual instances of injustice that need to be heard. We say something when we see the world lying to people how to think about their gender or sexual preferences. And we say something to people to encourage them Uh, to free them from the havoc that those lies that are perpetrated onto them by society leave mentally and emotionally and physically. We speak out against those things. And we point people back to the Word of God. We speak out and we say something. We take action when we see widows and orphans being cast out and uncared for. We act on that. That was the purpose and the goal behind this church embracing the Cradles of Grace ministry. Lord willing, that will be the purpose and the onus and the emphasis when we get to re-embrace that and re-establish that here in the future as well. To care for the widows and the orphans the way the Lord's Word calls us to. Because that is the kingdom at work affecting the society around us. We take action and we say something when we see the sin of racism rear its ugly head in whatever form it takes in our world. And we point people to Christ. Because in Christ we find true unity and true identity and a true future of peace together. Because there, every tribe, tongue, and nation will be worshiping the Lord side by side. We speak out when we see that injustice in the world. We speak out and we say something and we act when we see babies being murdered in the womb by the millions of every year. Church, the kingdom has its effect on this world and we speak and we act to see its effects bring light into the world, into the darkest of places. The angels will sort things out in the end. The good and the bad will be separated. But we get to live out the part of the kingdom right now that leaves an impact in this world that sees darkness addressed, sees sin addressed, and sees God's forgiving grace brought into every domain of society. Until that day comes, until that day of separation comes, and that sorting comes at the end of the age, the effects of the kingdom are here and now, and as it marches forward into eternity, the effects are to be, to, to be felt by those who are not even in the kingdom. So we don't turn a blind eye to sin here, because God does not turn a blind eye to sin here. And though He is patient, though He is long-suffering, we can't write off the warning that we get at the end of this parable. Because the time of separation will come and all humanity will see God in His fullness and we will be either welcomed into the fullness of His eternal kingdom, dressed not in our filthy rags, 
but in the robes of righteousness imparted to us by Christ and His sacrifice on the cross. And God will look at us in that state that has been given to us by grace through His Son, Jesus, and He will look at us and say, well done, my good and faithful servant, because of what Christ has done inside of us. Or, the other terrifying prospect for anyone who does not come clothed in those garments of righteousness given by Christ, and who comes clothed in those filthy rags we offer, at that time, there will be a casting out into utter darkness. The place where sin and evil will be rightfully punished according to the perfect justice of God. And this place is a terrifying future prospect for any who end up there. Look back at verse 50 and the way Jesus describes it. He says, Throw them into the fiery furnace, In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. The application point for us here, church, is that hell is real. We fool ourselves into thinking it's not. And we do so because it just doesn't sound nice. It doesn't sound like a nice thing to us. But when we look at God, we look at the perfect, holy God who is perfect love and perfect mercy and perfect justice, we realize when we see Him in Scripture, He is never described as perfect nice. No, the Bible tells us this holy God is an all-consuming fire and all will be caught up in that net and all will be sorted before the Lord that day. It's a warning for us. Examine ourselves, church. Have a heart for the lost, church. Bring the grace and mercy and the effects of the kingdom to a world that is starting to fade away and die, church, so that they may live too. This is the sorting that happens at the end of the age. You can click the next slide for me, Jerry. That'd be great. To this point now that Jesus looks at his disciples and he asks that question that we started with in, uh, at the beginning of the sermon in verse 51. He looks at them and he says, have you understood all these things? Have you understood all these things? 51 verses in. Seven parables that Jesus has given them. A couple of them having to go back and explain things step by step for the disciples. He looks at them and he asks them now, do you understand these things? Do you understand these secrets of the kingdom of, the, of heaven that I told you back in verse 11 is yours to understand? What do the disciples say? They look at him and they say, yes. I tend to be naturally cynical in my nature. I'm sure some of you can probably relate. So my natural cynical self wants to scoff at that answer, right? It wants to look at the disciples and say, yeah, you don't understand. You don't get it. You're just saying that. Yes, You said yes, disciples? You're saying that all these parables that Jesus has given you now, you understand as he speaks of the kingdom of heaven. And they're telling him that they understand the explanations that he's given them along the way. They understand that Jesus has said, it is for them to know the secrets of the kingdom of heaven. And now... They claim to understand 
that they have these new teachings that Jesus has given them that are grounded in the old truth of God's Word, that there is a treasure for them here in God's kingdom. And this treasure is theirs to share. They say yes to that. We'll have to take them at their word, church, that they actually affirm that. They probably did because we might not have this with us today if they didn't. So maybe my cynical nature is, is wrong and they actually did understand. But after they affirm this, after they say, yes, we understand everything you taught us step by step from the beginning of these teachings, Jesus, he answers that affirmation. Jesus answers that affirmation with what? He answers that affirmation with another parable. Another parable, a beautiful parable. This final parable of this section where Jesus says, you say you understand. Well, guess what? If you understand it, you have this treasure that is yours. And it is yours to take and lay hold of and to take out with you as though you are one who has authority, as though you are a master of a house. And it is yours to bring out and to show off and to share with those you come across the way and those who you invite into your home. If you understand these things, here's what you're going to do with them, disciples. In the final parable of this section, Jesus compares his disciples who say they understand to scribes, right? And scribes are ones who understand words that are written down. Literally, scribes, what do they do? They copy things. They read words on a page, and they would copy them from one page to another page. There was no Xerox, obviously, back in Jesus' day, right? And we might have a, we might have a few more uh, earlier manuscripts if we did. But thank God there were men who trained to be scribes, who would study text, who would look at text and say, I'm taking this text and writing it. So the disciples Jesus compares to scribes, people who know the law, who know God's word, who can take it and transmit it from one place and take it to another place in the way that he intends for it to be understood. These are men who now will pass along the words and the understanding that Jesus gives them because scribes in Israel, they were men who were responsible for preserving the scripture. And now, the preservation of this teaching, Jesus says, is coming to all who have been trained for the kingdom of heaven. And his disciples are in his immediate view. But it doesn't stop with the disciples. This has implications for us today as well as disciples of Jesus too, church, doesn't it? Because there is a responsibility and an authority that comes with being a disciple of Jesus and Jesus compares this responsibility and authority in, uh, in verses 51 and 52 to being the master of a house. A master of a house has resources at his disposal. He has authority at his disposal. He has treasure, Jesus says, that is to be brought out. It is to be shared by those who have been trained and those who have been given that responsibility and that authority. There's treasure that is there for you to put on display for people to see so that they may understand these things too. This treasure that's to be brought out, Jesus tells them, is both new and old. And I love this phrase. It's such a beautiful phrase with a lot of nuance to it that I probably will not quite hit all the right elements of, but hopefully we see how beautiful of a phrase it truly is and what it means for us as Christians. See, Jesus has given us these teachings of the kingdom of heaven, and they are new to the disciples. 
But this teaching Jesus is giving them on the kingdom, it's not just new, it's not made up out of thin air. It is rooted in what has come before it. The Jews of that day of Jesus were looking for a kingdom. The Jews to this day still say they are looking for a kingdom. Some of you may not know this, but um, at the end of uh, celebrations for uh, Rosh Hashanah, which is like the Jewish New Year, they say next year in Jerusalem. Because they're still, to this day, looking for a kingdom. They've missed the king, but they're looking for the kingdom. They saw in the promises that God had given them throughout the law, throughout the prophets, throughout the entirety of the scriptures, everything that Yahweh was working in Israel, leading them up to this point where Jesus comes on the scene to bring this kingdom of heaven truly into the world. This is what they were looking for. They were looking for a kingdom. The Jews were looking for it in the wrong place. This is the treasure that we have in God's Word. This is the same treasure they had in God's Word that they missed from the very beginning, through the law, through the prophets, into the time of Jesus. The old and the new. This was treasure in God's Word for them. They were looking, the Jews in Israel at the time, were looking for a different kingdom because their hearts were hard and because of their pride and their arrogance. And they missed the fact that the kingdom was always God's kingdom. They got to enjoy this kingdom as children in faith, and it was not their kingdom to boast about. And so they missed the things in the old treasure that Jesus was here giving people face to face in this new teaching. This new teaching which explained that old treasure about the true nature of the kingdom. At that time, the Pharisees and the scribes are finding themselves on the wrong side of this separation, of this time of dividing. On the day of judgment that Jesus has talked about twice in these last couple of parables, when the sorting time comes, they will find themselves on the wrong side of that sorting as well. The Pharisees, they didn't understand. They didn't truly understand the old treasure they had in God's Word, and it made them miss this new treasure that Jesus has given them. And that leads me to how I want to finish our time today. The Pharisees didn't understand. They didn't see it. And Jesus looked at his disciples after going through these new, these new teachings, rooted and grounded in the old teachings that were already there. Do you understand these things? You can click to the next slide, Jerry. So I want to ask us, church, do we understand these things? Do we understand these things? If we say yes, we do understand what Jesus, you are teaching here. We say we're understanding the secrets of the kingdom of heaven. Our eyes should be open to this beautiful unity of Scripture, to the beautiful story that God has laid out from the very creation of the world to where we're at today with a concluding point in time where He will and we will see sin finally put to an end once and for all. Do we understand these things? If we understand these things and we see the beauty of Scripture and the unity of Scripture and the way that God is working throughout the entirety of human history, even to the point in our own individual lives, if we understand these things, I want to ask you this, church, what are we going to do with this treasure? 
Your salvation is a treasure, church. You have been saved from death and from hell, and you have been delivered to eternal life in Christ. That is a gift. That is a treasure. What are we doing with that treasure, church? Are we going to hide it? Isn't that the song, right? This little light of mine? This little light of mine. I'm going to let it shine. What's the next part that comes along? Or, or, I'm messing it up. Hide it under a bushel. Hide it under a bushel. No. Louder. Hide it under a bushel. No. There we go. I'm going to let it. What are we doing with the treasure, church? What are we doing with this treasure? Is it making us kingdom-minded people? Is it making us people that say, this is who I was. This is how amazing Jesus is. And this is who he has made me to be. Are we taking that same a transformation, that same knowledge of salvation, and are we putting it front and center in our lives so that no matter where we are, day in and day out, the kingdom is present with us in a lost world? I had the question up last week, what if the whole church was a missionary? There's a reason why I keep asking that question over and over and over again for us because it changes the way we think about how we live in this world. And we think when we leave here, we just go out and we're just doing stuff to make money, to take care of our family. You're not. You're working for the kingdom. Brian, when you're putting jackets on those water heaters in that hot plant in the middle of summer, you are doing a good work for your neighbor. You are loving and serving every one of us. Trust me, I know. Because when I wake up groggy and tired every morning to get up and go to work, and I get in that hot shower, man, that feels life-giving at that moment, doesn't it? Brian, if you did not faithfully serve the kingdom right where you're at, I would not have that hot water morning by morning that I need to rejuvenate me to get me up to go about my day. Thank you, Brian, for serving the kingdom and something that we look at and we take for granted day in and day out. Jerry, you work for the local government, right? Payroll systems. I'm going to do payroll, you know, maintain the payroll system for local government. What, what good is that? We look at that and we just think it's, this is my job. Jerry, you're working for the kingdom. You're working for the kingdom. Jerry, if you weren't there maintaining those payroll systems and police and firefighters and trash collectors and street department workers weren't getting their paycheck, that's going to affect every single one of us, is it not? Jerry, thank you for serving the kingdom right where you're at, day in and day out, making sure that our firefighters and our police officers and other members of the local government that serve us are taken care of and can provide for their families. That's kingdom work. Everywhere you're at, whatever you're doing, you are working for the kingdom. That's what we're to do with this treasure, church. That's what we're to do with this treasure. Don't hide it under that bushel. No. Let it shine. Whether you're a student or you're a mom, moms, moms with young kids, you work harder than probably anybody else does in this room right here. There was an awesome picture, and I'll close with this. Doran texted me last week. Hey, Lydia is a unique baby for us, right? She messes diapers like nobody's business, okay? And it gets really tiring every time you go to change a diaper and you look and you're like, again? Again? We just did this. 
And Doran texts me. She was a little tired and frustrated. She said, I changed her. I changed her again. And then as I was changing her, she messed up the one I was changing her into. You know what I texted her back? I said, you're doing good work. You're changing diapers for the kingdom. I should have got the picture you sent. You took two, Doran. It was a great picture she sent back to me. Lydia laying on the bed with about nine diapers in an arch over her and said, changing poopy diapers for the sake of the God, or, or impacting the world for Jesus one poopy diaper at a time. That's what we do with that treasure, church. That's what we're doing with this treasure. This is what Jesus is asking his disciples. Do you understand? Do you understand what you have? Because if we do, we're not going to hide it. We're going to take it, and it's going to impact everything we do, and that's going to impact everything around us. And before you know it, this community, this city, this world will feel the effects of the kingdom, and people will be saved. And that day of sorting will come, and there will be people who will be delivered from hell to eternal life. And we'll get to rejoice with them because they're a part of the kingdom too. Let's pray together, church. Father God, we come before you and we leave all of these words that have been spoken at your feet, Father. Um, the things that come out of my mouth, Lord, are only valuable or, or worth anything, Father, so long as your spirit deems to use them in the way you see fit. So Father, use, uh, use this weak vessel this morning, God. Use this weak vessel, Father, to, to encourage us to faith in you, Lord. Let your spirit come among us, Lord, and let us just Feel the presence of the Holy Spirit now because you are truly with us everywhere we go. Father, the, the Spirit does not live here in, in buildings or in temples made by hands, but the Spirit dwells inside each and every one of us, Lord, and we are a piece of your kingdom, Father. Lord, let us lay hold of that vision. Let us lay hold, Father, of the treasure that you've given us. Let us be like the disciples, Lord, Lord, we're trusting that when they said, and they looked at you, and they said, yes, we understand, we are trusting that they understood because they passed that knowledge, they passed that treasure on to us. Let us not hold it to ourselves, but let us be faithful disciples who see these parables, who see the treasure that they are, who see the warning, Father, for eternity that they contain. And Lord, let us be like these master of the house who've been given this gift of this authority and bring it out. Bring out the old, bring out the new. Let the unity and the beauty of your word be present and visible in our lives for all to see so that the impacts may be felt in all that we interact with, Father. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.